taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, all things were created through Him, and apart from Him not one thing was created that has been created. This is the Word of God. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics, we're taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo, and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, hello, everyone. We've been praying for you. I'm just kind of curious. Brian and I kind of were kicking this around and asking asking about this. Uh, curious about how those, uh, our other listeners overseas, um, how they're celebrating Christmas. And uh, if you feel so inclined to send pictures in or even just a little blurb email to just uh, let us know uh, let us know how you guys are celebrating christmas overseas uh, just just curious to see how things are uh somewhere else let's go ahead and welcome on brian chilton hello brian hey curtis hope you're doing well my friend doing good doing good so it sounds like uh we need to talk about the uh latest article on bellator Christie. uh what was the christmas star yeah, I just want to briefly mention this because coming up December 21st, uh, we have an astronomical site that uh, you don't want to miss. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that's this upcoming Monday. And so that's why I felt pressed to to mention that on tonight's podcast. Uh, we have what's called the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. And if you look out uh, towards the constellation Pisces, uh, that would be, let me think, that would be, let's, let me think, west, in the western sky, uh, you'll see two bright dots, one really bright and the one a little bit less bright. But those two dots are Saturn and Jupiter, the brighter one being Jupiter. Coming up J- December 21st, these two planets are going to align perfectly in our view making it appear as if Saturn is on top of Jupiter, uh, giving the appearance of one really bright star. Now, to put this in perspective, this hasn't happened since the 1600s uh, when Galileo looked at the same site through his spyglass. Uh, And it won't happen again until the year 2080. And the thing that makes this even more spectacular outside of the, the rarity of this event is that many people believe that this may have been the Christmas star. And I recently wrote an article uh, on bellatorchristie.com talking about the possibility of whether or not this conjunction could have been the Christmas star. And I came to some very fascinating conclusions uh, through the research. So I want to let you know about this coming up uh, December 21st, this Monday. So be sure to look out at the western sky towards the constellation Pisces and pray for good weather because, again, we won't see this until 2080. Uh, so uh, 
most of us probably won't be here <laughs> during that time. At least I know I probably won't. <laughs> if I, odds are highly doubtful that I'll be here around that time. But uh, anyhow, uh, just want to let everybody know that this is coming up this Monday. And uh, th- there's very good, very good reasons for believing that this may have been the Christmas star or at least had something to do with the Christmas star. And we'll try to give you some more information on that in a future podcast. That is amazing. That is amazing. Well, we want to get right into it. We have a special guest uh, for this week. Um, it's uh, actually uh, my own personal pastor. Um, he's a pastor of our church, Cornerstone Faith Center, there in St. Ignatius, Montana, and he's uh, a wonderful man. Uh, I'd like to introduce him now. So let's welcome on Eric, Pastor Eric Reed. Thank you, Curtis. Curtis hey, and Brian, thanks for letting me be on the show with you guys. Um, it's an honor to be on here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I enjoy listening to you guys' conversations in your podcast, and it's going to be fun to be on here with you today. Well, thank you for coming <laughs> on. Yeah, yeah. So, Eric, why don't you just give us a little, uh, little bit about you know, just about you, your history, so on and so forth, and then we'll get into some of the questions and stuff. Kind of give our listeners about maybe some of the some of the basis of of what we what we have here in in uh, in Montana. Some of the basis of what we have here in Montana, you mean like the bears and bears and mountains. <laughs> hey, you have some beautiful mountains over there. Yeah. Absolutely, actually, in Saint Ignatius, the um, southern view of the Mission Mountains, right outside of Saint Ignatius, it may be one of the most spectacular views I've ever seen. Um, just spectacular. The first time I saw it was in two thousand five, and I was it was breathtaking. Um, but yeah, I've been here in St. Ignatius for two years, or no, for two years, for one year, um, and just taken over the senior leadership position here um, in May officially. Um, but I've been in the state of Montana doing Native American ministry for off and on for about 18 years. Um, how, how, have you, um, how have you been able to reach individuals uh, from the Native, Amer- Native American tribes? Um, you know, honestly, my experience in St. Ignatius and the reservation here is a little bit different. Most of my experience was in a um, small reservation in north central Montana called Rocky Boy. And, uh, you know, Native American people, like most tribal people, are very relational. And that's just the number one way and the best way to connect with them and, um, you know, just to honor the people and the culture and um, be very relational. Um, in Rocky Boy, sitting down with the elders is one of was always one of the... Um, the best ways to connect, but just one of the greatest joys as well. Just some fantastic people. So I thoroughly enjoy those relationships. And that's the best way to connect with them. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're in a spot um, where um, having a foothold in, in just that type of ministry um, is, is such a way uh, for us to actually utilize what has already gone on in Cornerstone to actually help draw people in um, to actually have those kind of conversations and and having Eric on board um, really has has helped and facilitated a lot of good conversations with the even the younger kids um, even some of the older people um, allowing them to uh, actually hear the heart of Cornerstone. So anyway, Eric, um, we're going to go ahead and get into the question, the first question here. Um, if you want to go ahead and maybe give maybe a brief testimony of, of uh, you know, how you come to faith and how, how you became a pastor, 
Um, and then maybe what you did um, up into <laughs> if you wanted to kind of do that, that'd be good. Yeah, I'll be I'll be um, brief with that. That's quite a story. So actually, I grew I grew up in the um, in the Catholic Church. Um, always believed that Jesus was the Son of God that He died for my sins. That was nothing that I ever doubted. It just wasn't relevant to me. It wasn't a personal faith. Um, and I, or a relationship that I had, it was just it was just a religion. I was in, involved. My family was pretty heavily involved in the church, and I went through actually um, very relevant to especially the generation and the culture we're in right now. I went through a crisis of identity, a, a lot of um, sexuality and gender confusion, to the point where I was suicidal, and I ended up um, just a. Uh, one last cry cry out to God because I knew that if I didn't have intervention, um, I was going to die. And I was, I was to the, actually that day was prepared to take my life. And I called out to the Lord and, um, and he met me and I had an interaction, interaction with him and an encounter with him that, um, lasted about seven hours. And I was changed forever from that day. Um, after that, I actually had joined the army and, um, I tried to just get no no grid for Christianity or faith, so I tried to re-enter the Catholic Church and and started to realize that I needed an authentic relationship with Him and His Word, and that led me to a Bible-believing church, and eventually um, into Bible college. I I knew, and I guess the how I got became a pastor the day that I accepted Christ, and I just um surrendered everything to him i knew that day that i i existed and lived for one reason and that was to serve him mm. uh, oh, man that's power yeah yeah that's that's good stuff and you know what i enjoy eric is having having your full family involved in in the church and and just involved in just being personable people um and and that's one thing we really enjoy is is having a um you know pastor that you know, is is what you could say touchable, um, and, and we get to interact with and and actually share life with. I think that's such a a powerful thing for a church to be able to uh, share with that, and plus a good thing for the for the pastor to get to know uh, the people that are around. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely, I just agree. I mean, one cornerstone. It's been a privilege to come into this church, but you know, the church is supposed to be relational. We are designed to do life together. I was actually, um, I don't remember where I heard it, but, you know, we can't know who we are as a part of the body of Christ, except really in, in fullness, except through our relationship with other members of the body. Um, and so those relational dynamics are huge. And um, just, I, I need other people. I need people like you, Curtis. I need people like you, Brian, in my life for the, for the feedback and the sharpening and, and just for the gifts that are in your life. Um, so yeah, I likewise just um, so thankful for the relationships, and and then my family can be involved. You mentioned my family, um, my whole family. We've done ministry together since, you know, I my wife and I got married shortly after I was born again, and my kids have been with us on the mission field and in West Africa for a season on the reservations, wow. and this has just been life for us. Um, so it's just been wonderful to do it as a family, and and then to be a part of the greater family of the body of Christ. Eric, I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your insights on this too. You know, the, the pandemic has been really hard on people, especially when it comes to the aspect of, of relationships and, you know, impacting individuals, you know, to be, from being able to see one another. Um, 
how do you think how have you been able of course I, I know you guys have been meeting in person but how do you think uh, areas where maybe they can't meet in person what are some ways you believe that you think that they could be able to maintain that that uh, those personal relationships that connectiveness during this time well, I wish I knew an easy answer. I think my, my default answer with most of my pastor friends is there just doesn't seem to be a, a black and white clear answer to, to anything with this pandemic. I mean, I think first what stands out to me is I think this pandemic has really exposed a lot of um, issues in a real healthy way. And I think it exposed that a lot of the relationships that take place within the body of Christ are... Um, not as dynamic and maybe a little more superficial than they than they ideally would be. So I think that exposure has actually forced us to press in and to really evaluate, are we really doing relationship? Um, but, you know, I, th I think my and my philosophy when it comes to church, I think that the best churches are one where, um, you know, where men and women are strengthened and recognizing leaders. And then you have, you know, have people pastoring. You know, there are all kinds of people inside of any local church with the heart of a pastor. And just really that intentionality, calling, um, talking on the phone, what are your needs? And I, I think we have access through the, through the media, through technology to connect um, easily. So just really taking advantage of that. But identifying those people with the pastoral heart, those mature leaders that are trustworthy. And just let's be a, let's be a team to just keep the communication happening. I think that that's probably the best solution. Um, and... and and it, it ends up being a long-term solution too. It's not something just for the moment, but if we can start moving into that as a as a lifestyle inside of the church, really caring for one another, pastoring one another, um, you know, being our brothers' keepers, um, so to speak, which was is probably not. I don't know if that's one of on the list today, Curtis. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's my thought. Yeah. Uh, that's good. So, Eric, what is your ministerial philosophy oh my ministerial philosophy you know i've never tried to summarize that in just a, <laughs> a, a short statement um i i don't want to find myself babbling um but <laughs> that was good that was good for those who don't know there's a passage of scripture we're going to be covering talking about babbling so that that was well played sir <laughs> so you know i think i think if i was to um for me personally, and, and I was visiting with some pastor friends, and I think a lot of times my my answer is I don't always know the right way to move forward, but I believe my job is to follow Jesus and to expect him to show up in powerful ways. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just I think if I was to, my passion is the fact that Jesus really did raise from the dead and that his spirit really is alive in those who believe. And that truth should impact the way I do everything. So I really just want to live my life and do ministry from that center where I'm in a real relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit and just trying to listen and obey. Amen. That's good. That's good. You know, and, and I'll tell you, Eric, it, it, it shows in the way that um, you relate with people just from an observational side of things. Um, I, I see it. I see it played out um, as you interact with people. Um, you're 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 looking for you're looking for the next thing for God to say. You're looking for the next thing that God's going to move in and do. And I think that's I think that's powerful in leadership because 
it, it, you can help point it out when it does happen. And there could be some people that just don't recognize it and don't know that that's actually going on and happening. But to have a have somebody that's willing and ready to to point it out and speak up on it, I think that's powerful. You know, I heard somebody um, quote A. W. Tozer just the other day, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna probably um, butcher it a little bit, so paraphrase. And he said that the person who doesn't expect God to speak will never hear him. Mm. And I think that's just the reality, just being aware of the fact that God is speaking and he's working. And if I can help other people become more aware of the fact that he is dynamically interacting with them in their daily life um, and steer them towards that more real personal relationship, then then I've done my job. Mm. I think there's a lot to be said on that on that notion, uh, because I think the reason that many people don't hear from God is the fact that they're not expecting God to speak. So, yeah, exactly. I, I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good stuff. So, what passages uh, has have most influenced you in your walk and your ministry? Oh, you guys know the whole book is good. Yeah, I was just gonna yeah. say you're you're a walking, talking pastor. You 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 you're gonna say the Bible, but you gotta yeah. be more specific, bud. So I would say when I was at Bible college, um, it was the first uh, letter of the Bible or, or book of the Bible that I took the time to. Um, and it, I think it was a theology class. We, I went through with a couple other people through Philippians, and when I stumbled upon Philippians chapter three, where the Apostle Paul talks about, you know, I had I had this um, pedigree, and I, you know, as when it comes to obeying the law, I was as good as you could get, and just talking about the righteousness you could earn from the law, and so all of the esteem and all of the applause and all of the position that he had accomplished, and when he makes that statement, he says, "I consider all of it rubbish." when when compared to the excellency of knowing the lord jesus christ mm. and you know he said i count everything as as nothing it, you know and i i prefer just to know him in the power of his resurrection so that philippians chapter 3 has impacted me huge um and then you know galatians 2 20 the apostle paul says i've been crucified with christ there's no longer i who lives but christ that lives in me and that's, you know, just kind of really a summary of um, Romans chapter 6. So those, I think, would be some of the most um, significant passages in my life. Those are good, powerful ones, especially, you know, when you, when you, um, when you consider all that, Paul, all that Paul knew and was yeah. and the potential of who he was going to be. And he considers that all just rubbish all, yeah. all put it aside i have had an encounter with the with the risen christ and and his encounter is is way different than anybody else's he's coming at it backwards from 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 what had already happened at the cross trying to go backwards and go through that where everybody else was you know all the other apostles got to see it all the way from the beginning before the cross and i think that's powerful very powerful yeah. Absolutely. So the next question, Eric, what, uh, what books outside the Bible have impacted you? That's a, I was thinking through that question quite a bit, and I, I do a lot of reading. I'm a slow reader, so I don't read in a hurry. I have a stack of books that I'm going to get to. But I think you know, there's probably only 
one book that is outstanding as far as as influencing um really i guess it's influenced me from the very beginning and it kind of permeates most of my walk and um have to kind of bear with me it's not a um necessarily a theologically correct book but it is the practice of the presence of god is a, more than any other book that's it's a from a 17th century monk oh, wow. um, uh, um, and it's just, uh, so he was a, a monk in 1600s, and it's a, a compilation of some letters that he had written. Um, and his theology wasn't great, but he had this pursuit, and his goal was simply this, wanting to know, you know, so knowing the truth of the scripture, that, you know, Christ lives in us, and he's come to make his home inside of us. And so he just made it his goal and his aim to cultivate the sense of God's presence with him always and continuously during his day so just a simple monk and he and something about that so um inspired me to um you know just a pursuit to live consciously aware with my attention and my affection turned toward the lord and obviously it's something i, I don't do anywhere near um but it's it's it, more than any other book i think that has influenced um my walk with the lord and just kind of my my forward movement in ministry we know and other than that, I, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I think that is a very mature Christian take on things because I, I think we do ourselves a disservice if we only read books uh, of authors which we agree, who we agree with. And, you know, it's like even uh, like the ancient church father, Oregon. You know, many people don't read him because they think some of his theology is wonky. I do think he's been a little misrepresented. But even still, I mean, he has some really good things to say. So I really applaud you for. I mean, even you know, I, you know, like you said, I mean, we want to stick with you know true, genuine theology. But at the same time, you know, give credence when someone does have something good to say, even if you know we may not agree with them in total. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll get down to the last question here before we get on to our topic, and and so. As a pastor, what can you say to our, our audience uh, that may encourage them through the challenges of this time and just through challenges in general? <laughs> you know, I feel like I feel like these questions, I'm, I'm really feeling very one-dimensional here. But I think but, my... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm simple, and I think that that's really my, my encouragement is, you know, in the midst of this all, just continue to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and expect mm-hmm. him to show up. You know, in the message on Sunday, it just kind of stood out to me. His grace is not limited by time. It's not limited right. by space, and it's not limited by our expectations. With him, nothing is impossible. And just, right. you know, recognize where he's working to, to celebrate that, to be thankful, and to share the testimony. Because right now, we need the church to be built up in faith, hope, and love. And I, I don't know a better way to do that than to celebrate the testimony of the Lord, what He has done, what He is doing, and what we're looking forward to Him doing in the future. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we have we have some testimonies there in the church, that's for sure. It's Amen. pretty awesome. Pretty awesome to see Him uh, move the way He's done in, 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 our, in our community. And I know that just our the, the type of people we have and the involvement that we have um, and 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 the 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 idea that we got a pastor that's cultivating the 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 thought 
or the, the presence of God and knowing that God's going to move and to always keep our eyes open for it, it almost sets the stage for all of us to just continually be looking for the for the move of God and, and be, be ready to um, be able to speak to people and be able to, to speak with joy even in, in amongst this uh, this type of season that we're that we're dealing with. So anyway, um, let's get on to the, the topic. Um, we have a, a pretty pretty good topic uh, for, for this for this week. Um, it's uh, the top 10 biblical phrases, or verses that have influenced the culture and conversations. So it's the top ten biblical phrases, and and so when I was kind of thinking about how to come up with this uh, topic for the podcast and and how to line this out, all I could think of is man, you're hearing people using specific things and phrases that they really don't know the origins of where those things come from and and so i i actually sat down and was writing down oh for the past probably almost a year now been writing down <laughs> phrases or, or little little keywords that you hear people say and stuff and and you know as as you go through the bible you'll be able to pick up and read and 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 hear these things used and so my ear was tuned for it um and what was crazy is how some of them were completely misapplied and then some of them were actually <laughs> applied fairly well. And so what was what was intriguing to me is how many of them there were. Um, so let's go ahead and just go ahead and get into the topic there, Brian. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so our first one, uh, and and I do apologize to everyone. We, we're we're trying out some new equipment here, so if the sound, you know, if we, a little up and down on my end, just bear with me. I was having some technical difficulties earlier, but uh, anyhow, such is technology. Yeah. But anyhow, the first one is uh, cast the first stone. Uh, we normally hear people talk about don't cast the first stone. This actually comes from John chapter 8, verse 7, and there's the whole debate about, we won't get into it, whether that passage of Scripture, the story belongs in, in the Bible, which I believe it does. Uh, another time, another podcast, but but basically, <laughs> <laughs> what we have here is a very interesting story where... Um, Jesus, the 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 elders bring to Jesus a woman caught in the act of adultery. The intriguing thing is they don't bring the other person because now she was caught in the very act, but they don't bring the guy. Some scholars have wondered maybe the guy was one of the instigators, or maybe the husband caught them in the act. And but still, why didn't he bring the guy? Uh, we don't know. Well, anyhow, they bring this lady to Jesus, throw her down, and they say, "Well, Jesus, our law says that you know such a woman caught in an act of adultery must be stoned." What do you say? Well, it's interesting because in this passage of scripture, Jesus he writes something in the sand. Now the question is, what he writes? Now personally. I believe he probably identifies the person who slept with the woman, and he probably also identifies the sins of every other person who was there, maybe even identifying other people who had same relations with this woman. But anyhow, he identifies the individuals. And then in verse 8 it says, When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, Can you imagine the gaze that Jesus had as he's looking at them now after he's done this? Yeah. And then he says, 
the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. So in other words, and a lot of these statements come from the old King James Version, those of you without sin cast the first stone. Yeah, and, and it's funny because when we hear that applied in, in the culture, um, in just normal conversation, as you move, you know, back a little bit, it, it's actually applied um, somewhat correct, but yet it's still, um, it's almost applied like, uh, um, like as far as uh, don't judge, you know, um, so what are your thoughts? I, I would I would agree with that. I you know, I, I think I do think we have to be careful because we, we do the Bible does give us uh areas where we can know sin, but at the same time I do think we Christians do have a problem about casting judgment on other people without you know, especially as Jesus says, you know, we wanna we wanna pull out the log in someone or pull out the splinter in someone else's eye and, and leave the log in her own. Uh, what do you think, Pastor Eric? Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think that most people that use that have that sense of, um, of, of judgment. And I think, I think a lot of times Christians and non-Christians alike will use it to, um, to keep people from pointing out their sin. And I, and I think that that um, is definitely very, very valid. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 most of the times I've heard it in culture, it has been used pretty accurately um, and in, in context, even though they, I think a lot of times they've missed the heart of the Lord being communicated in it. Mm, right. So now Eric Curtis tells me that you went to uh, Walmart, was doing a little survey. Uh, did, did you find out anything on this <laughs> statement? Yeah, well, no, no, this one I did. I, I, you know, I took the odds. I took the odds, the odd numbers that we had in the the phrases that I was gonna. Um, so just five of the phrases, and this. So that's one I actually didn't ask. I wanted to keep the interviews limited so that people would stay engaged with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so when when I came up with this, the top ten, um, I, I actually, I actually flipped a coin. I was like, well, if we're gonna have Eric on and and, and Brian doing this, we gotta. <laughs> got to make it at least somewhat intriguing and, and fun. So I just flipped the coin, and I was like, well, whoever gets head, heads gets the even one. And, and so uh, Brian ended up with the, with the evens, and uh, uh, Eric got the odds. And so um, just to keep it fair, so number nine, uh, <laughs> number nine uh, is, is one that you hear um, kind of used um, on and off. Uh, it's, it's quit your babbling. Um, where, where do you think that comes from, Eric? Well, that um, creature babbling actually comes from Genesis chapter 11 in the story of the Tower of Babel. And it talks about how the, the, the nations of the world and the people of the world were building that tower, trying to make a name for themselves and, and ultimately to make themselves like God or even beyond God, trying to achieve God in their own strength and with their own, um, with their own engineering and, and all of that. Um, and in chapter 11 of Genesis, it says that the Lord saw that, that they began to build, and um, they were in agreement to the point where nothing was going to be impossible to them. Sinful men, when they have unlimited um, resources, are going to create some chaos. So he said, let's go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. 
So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped the building. It says, therefore, it is called Babel, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And the word Babel actually is kind of a, a play on words. So it was the uh, Babylon is, is developed out of that, the city of Babel. But Balel means confuse. So when the Lord confused their language, um, you know, that word Babel started to speak of confused language or unintelligible sounds. Um, but when I did, when I went through Walmart and asked people this question, it was interesting that <laughs> most people now most of them had heard other people mention this, and and so um, so Brian, my um, and the listeners out there, the reason I went to Walmart because I started I asked my kids, my teenagers, and they would give me blank stares like they hadn't seen or heard these statements, <laughs> and it started to and it started to dawn on me that I think it was. Um, indicative of that this is a generation that hasn't had some of the common influence um, or experienced some of the common influence in the language of the Bible, which is a whole different um, topic by itself. But So most of them have heard other people say them, but they said mostly old people talk about babbling. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them would say that it means to be talking really quickly or to be rambling on and on about something. I interviewed nine people in a all of them except for one said it just mean to talk on and on and on. Um, and when I looked this, I looked this up in the dictionary, the Merriam-Webster dictionary. It says, the definition of babble, the first definition, is to talk enthusiastically or excessively. And the second definition is to utter meaningless or unintelligible words. <laughs> so I realized that, honestly, it's the, it's the meaningless and the unintelligible, the, the un. Um, the, the nonsensical words they can make sense of it. That's really what the Bible teaches. But it seems like in common language right now, they think of it more as just talking over, you know, just excessive talking. Well, that's basically any new show anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's well, interesting because you, know, you talk about, you know, talk about babbling. And I, was, I was looking up some verses to, you know, coincide with that as well. Job eleven three, you know, talks about should your babbling put others to silence so that you can keep on ridiculing and so on and so forth. And then Jesus even mentions the babble, and it's interesting the link with this back to Genesis uh, with the Tower of Babel. And he says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Uh, you know, talk about you know many words. Don't be like them because your father already knows the things you need before you ask him. So mm-hmm. it's in- interesting to bring that parallel back with the Tower of Babel with the usage of, of these these terms, Babel, mm-hmm. and, and things of that nature. Yeah, it's pretty cool. This, this mm-hmm. just got me just... Laughing and smiling because this this is exactly what I wanted to hear is <laughs> is how how is this how is this going through through our culture and it's it's actually impressive to hear hear this. So Brian, you had number eight. Yeah, and let me let me go back to say because I think Eric brought up a very important point that we we may not be hearing these phrases as much as we once did because of the the lack of impact that uh, the the Christian worldview is is having on our nation, and I kind of wonder. You know, Thomas Jefferson said that uh, a free nation can only exist under Judeo-Christian principles, and it makes you kind of wonder where we're heading. You know, if we if mm-hmm. we lose that impact uh, over time. But anyhow, uh, the next one is kill someone with your tongue. Uh, you know, and you can go several different places in Scripture with this one. Uh, Psalm fifty-two four says, "If you love any words that destroy, you treacherous tongue, or you love any words that destroy, you treacherous tongue." 
uh, verse 19 of chapter, uh, chapter Psalm 50, 19 says, You unleash your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. Isaiah 30, verse 27 says, Look, the name of the Lord is coming from far away, his anger burning and heavy with smoke. His lips are full of fury, and his tongue is like a consuming fire. And of course, in, Gen- in uh, the book of Revelation, we see that uh, Jesus is seen, and uh, out of his mouth comes this sword. And we know that's indicative of the fact that God, by his spoken word, can bring judgment. I, I do think the term, the phrase is talking about uh, how we need to be careful with what we say because with a tongue, as James tells us, uh, we can build people up or with a tongue we can destroy individuals as well. So I think in this case, yeah. while there are several different applications we can find in Scripture, I mean, even the Word, as we read this uh, a while ago, uh, in the beginning was the Word being Jesus, the wisdom of God come in flesh. Um, I do think the impact is ta- telling us to be careful what we say. You know, there's a little pr- modern proverb we could add to this that uh, that, that tells us this would uh, make people think. Let's see, how does it go? Um, let people think that you don't know what you're talking about or or open your mouth and remove all doubt or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably massacred that, but uh, nonetheless, I think that's what the, what the phrase is talking about. So, so I think you, I, th- I think you just um, un- uncovered my greatest fear being on this podcast with you guys. So, um, oh man, you're doing great. <laughs> but no, so the the scripture that came to my mind also is uh, you know Proverbs 18, where it says, "Death and life is in the power of the tongue." And Proverbs speaks about the tongue so often, about the tongue being a sword. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think that, that those passages right there really speak to me a lot about that. And unfortunately, yeah. I think that in in this culture, modern culture we have, and, I, and even with social media, this is a great danger I think we find is that yeah. you know, there are a lot of people talking you know, online. There are a lot of t- people talking, but there are very few people listening to one another. And, and yeah. I, mm-hmm. think that's, I think that's part of our problem, part of the reason we're in the shape we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the what is the saying? God gave you two ears and one mouth. So you exactly. Can twice as much as you speak. My grandma used to say that to me that. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're on. That's why you're on a podcast now, huh? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so so we got uh, number seven, um, Eric. Why don't we go ahead and talk about that? It's it's the scapegoat. Let's go ahead and talk about that. Yeah. So uh, you know I. I don't know how much I can jump into this. This might be something that Brian has to speak to a lot more, but the scapegoat actually um, primarily come out of Leviticus chapter 16. And it's the time of the day of atonement. Um, Really, you know, of the feasts of of Israel, the feasts of the Lord, it's, um, it's unique and it's the only commanded fast day of the Lord. So the day of atonement is a real kind of a solemn um, feast and there's all kinds of things to be said around there but leviticus 16 and the offerings that were brought on the day of atonement said that they would bring two goats and it says one of them was for the lord and the other one it says is um azazel and i'm going to butcher that hebrew word but there's a little bit of confusion about exactly what it means but a, a goat that would escape so the one that was for the lord would be offered as a sin offering and sacrifice to the lord and then after that sacrifice was made, the priest would lay hands on the other goats um, um, symbolically or, uh, you know, I'm not sure all of the spiritual implications, but um, placing the sins of the nation of Israel on the scapegoat. And then they would release that goat into the wilderness. 
Um, and some people say that it was to go to be pushed over a cliff into a, a, a deep ravine and killed. And others say that it would just be, um, you know, off not to return. But it was the idea was that this scapegoat would be a goat that would escape, that would, would carry the sins of Israel away from the, the nation. And there are all kinds of, um, you know, deep thoughts and symbolic meaning behind that. Um, but I think, so the scapegoat, when I, I looked up that and its usage and culture, that was interesting. I, some of these got to be a, a pretty fun, but the number one thing was when I, I Googled the NFL and scapegoat, and I realized that the sports world loves <laughs> to use the language of a scapegoat. But ultimately, mm. ultimately, what does it mean? It means, um, it means placing our guilt and our, the blame on someone else. So this actually came up in, in culture, in the sports world, and everyone wanted to blame their um, losing record on someone else. Um, the, and it's actually interesting. It's, it's mentioned a lot in family therapy, and it's um, where, where people will put all of their, their own issues who don't want to deal with their issues. They will find one member that they could just um, use as a target to deflect Whoa. and distract from you know, from their own issues. This, is, uh, isn't that what happens to pastors sometimes too? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so there's a, there, there's a quote here from Dwight D. Eisenhower that I saw. And I know I, I got like a list of things and I, it would be a little bit too jumbled, but this quote was interesting. It says the search for a scapegoat is the easiest, the easiest of all hunting expeditions. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Whoa. But everyone's looking for someone to blame, and I think that's that's in when I interviewed people. Ultimately, that's what they that's what they communicated. They thought it meant was it's you know blaming someone else for your problems. You know, I think also you can have a good uh, you know, evangelistic turn to this uh, because if you look back at the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus was the ultimate scapegoat for us. Uh, you know how he he took our sins upon his back, and then and then uh, I believe it's Hebrews chapter eight, if I'm not mistaken, talks about how he uh, went to the right hand, sat down at the right hand of the throne of of, of God, and uh, the act of sitting down means that the work was complete. Uh, yeah. Being at the right hand of God means that he had the authority to, to enact that, and so he serves even now as our advocate. Uh, on yeah. the right hand of the mercy seat. So this that's a really interesting parallel how you can bring Leviticus 16 to Hebrews chapter 8 and make a little a connection there between the two. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I mentioned those those passages of scripture that most impacted me. Just the reality that He bore all of our sins. Amen. And, and uh, like the scapegoat who went out into the, you know, was, was sent out to remove the sin from Israel. You know, he removes our sins from us as far as the east is to the west. And that'll mm. preach right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so so here's the, here's the idea and the big grand picture of doing what we're doing with this is it, it maybe this will help our listeners see a potential um, to have a biblical conversation with somebody. Yeah. You know, the, the, the idea here is to point these things out that, hey, the, these actually are in our culture and they're words that people use. And we can ask the simple question. I mean, we'll get down to one here pretty soon where, where it's actually quite obvious. And we can say, hey, do you know what they were saying when they said that? 
you, you yeah. know where that came from? And it allows us to be able to have just a, just a little bit of conversation um, with people. And, and it was great because today um, I was able to kind of, you know, have a little bit of discussion with some people there at, at the shop. At, at, and and when, when I was talking with them, um, they were like, um, well, yeah, that means this, you know, and they gave a really good explanation and it's really close to what the culture sees. But it was just a, it was misapplied if from the biblical application. So it gave me a chance to be able to tell the real story about where that phrase came from. Powerful yeah. stuff. And I think that's, I think that's the beautiful thing about this and why it's, it's, you know, would like to see them um, just in conversations. And even if people don't know them exactly what they mean, like you said there, Curtis, it creates an opportunity. It's, a, it's an entry point to talk about the word. And, and as we know, all of the scripture ultimately leads us straight to the cross. Amen. So it's, yeah, such a great opportunity. And, and a, it's a tool that we could definitely use in reaching mm -hmm. the lost and, and just right. starting those biblical conversations. Yeah. And, you know, um, and here, and here's something that Bellator Christie has really tried to work towards is creating an atmosphere for people to discuss things, for people yeah. to be able to ask, to, for people to be able to say, "Hey, wait a minute! I know that that comes from somewhere. Let let me let me find out that information." But here's it, the biggest thing: is it almost takes that barrier out of the way. You don't have to have this awkward. Um, you know, entry point of, of talking about the Bible to people. They right, you just yeah. let them, let them talk. You listen. And when they pop up some of this stuff or when these conversations come up or you're watching a football game and somebody says, Hey, look at there. He's going to be the scapegoat for the night. You know, you say, well, yeah. you know where that term come from, you know, and, and it allows a really cool opportunity yeah. if you're ready, if you're ready and watching for it. Yeah. So back to, you know, you were kind of talking about some of my ministerial philosophies. That's what I've thought about so many times. If I could just get somebody to turn their attention towards the word or turn their attention towards the, the, the reality of, of God, then then it's, it's just a starting point. And I, and, and I see it as it's ammunition for the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to, um, to start to bring the conviction and drawing them to drawing them to himself. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I think that it's just. Yeah, what a great awesome. opportunity! It's exciting to me. It gets really exciting. Yeah, awesome Amen. stuff. So, Brian, you got number six. Yeah, I'm gonna try to make this quick. As looks like we got about 15 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't gonna make it. <laughs> we have, have to use all the data on this. One. Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is a good time, a great podcast. Uh, so the, I've got blind leading the blind. So there are two passages of Scripture here. Uh, first of all, I found this interesting because Jesus talks about in Matthew fifteen fourteen talking about the Pharisees. He says, leave them alone. They are blind guides. If the blind guide the blind, uh, both will fall into a pit. Well, actually, he's quoting Deuteronomy twenty seven eighteen, which says, "The one who leads a blind person astray on the road is cursed." And let all the people say, "Amen." So he's basically saying that these mm -hmm. individuals are in are men who are leading people uh, who are cursed because they're leading people astray. So blind leading wow. the blind means someone leading another astray. That's pretty. That's pretty powerful when you when you think about it. Um, and these are these are uh, you know the Pharisees. These are 
are scholared people. These are people that are high in the culture and high in that quote unquote society um, that are actually, Jesus is basically saying, you're cursed, you're convicted, you're leading the blind, you're, you're, you're taking others with you. Yeah, and I think it's important to, I mean, because we need good scholarship. I mean, in fact, as as we need individuals in all areas doing the work uh, for the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and Paul was a scholar. Jesus himself was a scholar, if you really think about it. But I think the problem was is that they were they were holding the rabbinical law over the law of God, and they were basically right. saying that our interpretations are higher than the the word of God itself. And so Jesus is actually drawing them back to thus saith the Lord God. What was God saying? Uh, and so I, th- mm. I think that's an important thing to remember. Anytime, anytime we come to the point in time that we ask, did God really say this? We're asking the same thing that Satan asked in the garden to, to tempt Adam and Eve. So, uh, you know, there are th- some things that are, are you know, we, we've got to dig through, obviously. Uh, but whenever something is, you know, pretty clear in Scripture and we deny it, then I think that we're, we're causing a great deal of problems. And I think that's what the Pharisees were doing, and Jesus is calling them out on it. Mm. So how are we seeing it applied then in the culture today? <laughs> I, I'm afraid that would be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, I, I, I hear it. Um, I hear it in, in not real... Um, uh, specific conversations, just ones that um, maybe are, uh, are are maybe in in aspects of cutting somebody down or cutting a group of people down, or you know it, you know somebody's saying, well, they're just wrong and they're just blind leading the blind, you know. Yeah, and, and I, that's where I hear it applied. Well, and if you go back and you read what the, I mean, for instance, I mean, pe- people have said all kind of things about Thomas Aquinas. But the question I always ask, did you go back and really read what he said? Because I've heard people, even in the scholarly community, who said that Thomas Aquinas was saying things that he didn't say, if you go uh, back and read hey, the original go. material. So I think yeah. we it behooves yeah. us all to to pay homage to the to person in question to see what the person was actually saying. Uh, and the same holds true for if you go to the age-old debate between uh, Arminius and Calvin and Molina and so on and so forth. You know, read read the primary material and see what the person actually said. Mm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. So, Eric, you got you got number five. So, um, apple of his eye or apple of your eye? Yeah, I hear it quite often. But how'd you find that? Yeah, well, in when I, you know, in my interview experiment, everybody pretty much understood this as, um, well, well, for the most part, understood it as um, someone, someone special, someone precious, someone that has you, you know, a special place in your heart. Looking at the scripture, it's mentioned a number of places, and I won't spend a lot of time on this either. But um, Zechariah two eight is is a great example of that, and it says that, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, just um, I think it's really 
self-explanatory and that's what i gathered from most people but the scripture teaches that we are the apple of his eye what's interesting really quick that i thought that hebrew expression literally translates the little man of the eye um really? there's a whole yeah a whole lot of um, you know language stuff that comes into place but really talking about you know you can see your reflection in someone's eye in, in the pupil of their eye and, and and what it implies is that person's gaze is set on you you know, mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people say wow. that it might, might mean the opposite, you know, that, you know, he protects us as the apple of his eyes, something sensitive and precious. But I think the Hebrew is really just implying that his gaze is set on you. So if you were to look at him, you would always see your reflection in his eye. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, just expresses the heart of God and how, yeah. you know, he, he's got his eyes um, set on us. And in this context, it was really the nation of Israel. Um but the, oh, then, you know, it continues on and it expands and it is expressed to each one of us as individuals. So, and I may be going way off on this one, but, but think back about how it talks about, the, the scripture talks about how Jesus set his eyes on Jerusalem like flint, like Ooh. they were focused on Jerusalem as they went. That, yeah. that just brings a whole new, no, whole new layer into this whole thing. Yeah. Well, Amen. you know, and, and last Sunday we were looking at um, John chapter six when Jesus fed the five thousand, and and every one of the the accounts in the four gospels it says that Jesus looked up and, and looked at the crowds and he saw them, and I think it kind of speaks towards that same thing how he mm -hmm. he is looking intently with his heart and the heart of compassion towards us. Wow, awesome! That's unbelievable. So. Brian, you have number four. So, yeah, this was one classically attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but it didn't originate with Lincoln. Uh, right. the, the phrase says, a house divided will not stand. And uh, we find this, actually there are several different Gospels where you can find this, but this is, here again is a statement of Jesus. And uh, I want to read the one from Mark chapter 3. So uh, verses 24 through uh, 30, I want to read this in context. because So what happens here is that uh, you have individuals, again the elders of the community, Jesus performs a miracle, and as always happens, when Jesus performs a miracle, they try to sweep it under the rug or pretend it didn't happen. And so this occasion, they can't deny the miracle that happened, so they say, well, he's driving out these demons by the spirit of Beelzebub. He's Beelzebub. He's the prince of the demons. So he's Satan. Okay, so something happens and you can't deny it well you're just going to call person satan and then we call that in the apologetic world an ad hominem against the man well anyhow jesus says how can satan drive out satan if a kingdom is divided against itself that kingdom cannot stand if a house is divided against itself that house cannot stand and if satan opposes himself and is divided he cannot stand but is finished but no one can serve a, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up a strong man then he can plunder his house truly i tell you you people will be forgiven of all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter but whoever blasphemes against the holy spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit so anyhow long story short they were trying to say uh, that Jesus had was of this of Satan, but he's basically saying you can't have a house divided and it stands. And I think there are several different applications that you can take with that passage of scripture. <laughs> so, so we live in in uh, Western Montana, and we have a what's called uh, 
it's called the rival. Uh, it's it's a big rivalry between two colleges. It's between Montana State and and Montana uh, Montana Grizzlies. So it's Montana State Bobcats and the Montana Grizzlies. So are you and a Grizzlies a or a Bobcat? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so so. So what it says, there's a bumper sticker that I see all the time. It cracks me up. It's it, it says it, it shows a, a bobcat on one side and a and a grizz on the other side, and then it says right below a house divided. And I'm just like, will not stand. You know, it's, it's so I, I see that and I just, it just cracks me up. It's like, well, thanks Lord, you just have a Bible verse on a bumper sticker. That's pretty awesome. You know, so. That's how I've heard it or seen it applied is is in um, kind of a sports type um, application. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think when you look back at Abraham Lincoln's uh, version of this, this is when the nation was divided, you know, civil war was going on. He's trying to bring the nation back together. And, you know, not, not to get political or anything of the sort, I do, I am concerned about our nation because because of the divisions we have, you know, and I think that what Jesus says truly holds that a house divided can't stand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. the, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You're fine. Uh, I was say, I think the, the context that I've probably heard it most um, frequently just in, in common conversations is in a marriage relationship. Yeah, you know, just the importance of having unity in a marriage relationship. And that's where I've seen that, um, that phrase used commonly. Mm. That's an that's excellent awesome. point, and and I think that speaks volumes to making sure that you know if for young people listening to the podcast, to make sure you find yourself a Christian partner because if you don't, you know, you talk about you know unequally yoked. But I, I think you bring up a great point there, Eric. Yeah. yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's what what amazes me is how many times you hear something like this and it's applied like this particular one and it's applied to exactly what you said brian um abraham lincoln in fact there was a billboard um last year that i drove by um quite often and it and it showed this quote um a house divided will not stand and it on below below it said um abraham lincoln and i don't remember the context of the of the (laughs) billboard but it, it just cracked me up every time I'm like, nope, nope, he didn't get it. He's giving credit to the wrong one. So, See, and that shows a level of biblical illiteracy we have now. I mean, because yeah. anyone who's, who's read the, the scriptures you know, for any length of time, obviously, it's like, for instance, I visited with a person not long ago, and I asked him, what, what's your, you know, what are your favorite books in the Bible? And with tears going down his, flowing down his eyes, he says, he said the Gospels are front and center in in my mind because you know that's that's where Jesus is found. I think Jesus is found in all the scriptures, but he's talking about the life and ministry of Jesus. And okay. so, you know, obviously, if, you know, churchgoers they hear a lot of the teachings of Jesus as they should. So, you know, I, I kind of wonder if maybe I get it. And this goes back. I, I really think that what Eric said in the earlier part of the podcast is really compelling. That that we're finding a generational gap even in these sayings. And I think that mm. speaks volumes. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, Eric, you have you have number three. Um, why don't you go ahead and, and jump in on that? Yeah, this is this is was my the one I was one of them I was most looking forward to 
getting into, but um, actually probably not for the reason, and I, I hope I don't digress too far from the focus of the podcast, but as I looked at this, so the phrase is the road less traveled, mm-hmm. and my, my immediate thought um, goes to, and even when I, I got it, I thought well, Matthew 7, 13 and, four, 7, 13 and 14, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what mm-hmm. Jesus said, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the great gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few and without a doubt i think um you know the 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 way of salvation it talks about the the um the road that's straight and i think that there's so many biblical applications but this phrase actually isn't out of the bible so I was going to um, kind of poke you a little bit there, Curtis. Right, so right. The, the yeah, I, I was kind of wondering the same thing there, Eric, because nope. I kept looking at that, and I wondered, I said, huh. Yeah, I put it in there because here's the thing. We understand it as as Christians, as we, we apply it when we hear it as the narrow gate or the narrow right. pathway or whatever. But it, what's what's crazy is, this is another one of those where it allows us an entry point into right exactly. into the gospel. Right. I mean, to yeah. the heart of the gospel. Right. So, so, with, and this is, um, this was kind of funny for me. And I was just thinking about this. This leads me to the idea of what about the, all the phrases that people think are in the Bible, but aren't, <laughs> you know, I, the, one of them that that was quoted to me, you know, my, my, my dad would quote to me all the time is God helps those who help himself, you know, and, and or maybe like people, that one that holiness is next. To, I mean, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Or, yeah, I mean, or, you know, and being in the Advent season, you know, everybody has read about the three wise men. <laughs> but there were, we don't know that there were three wise men. They were, they were exactly. All, you know who knows, um, and and they know, weren't God even there at the nativity. The, exactly right. All of the <laughs> nativity scenes that are historically incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's what I was thinking. I was thinking about there. Um, but but I do. I like you said. I I think most people do reference it and think of, about the straight path. And as I interviewed people in Walmart. Um, most of them, that was their first thought. Even those that um, I could tell didn't have a whole lot of background biblically. They thought about it. It had to do with choosing God instead of choosing the broad path of the world. Wow. Mm. Really? Yeah. Uh. Can you say that one more time? Well, just um, most of the people that I interviewed in Walmart the other morning, even the ones that I could tell didn't have a, a, a strong religious background they um, they connected it with the idea of choosing God rather than choosing the broad path of the world. That's that's impressive. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. So Brian, you have you have number two. So I see the writing on the wall that this is my final one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Stuff. That's good stuff. <laughs> so, out of the mouth of babes, uh, this this I actually found a couple of passages of scripture uh, on this. Uh, so, uh, first one coming from Psalm eight two says, "From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries, in order to silence the enemy and the avenger." Um, he also says we also find in uh, Matthew twenty one sixteen. 
people were com- complaining. Jesus says, do you hear what these children are saying? Uh, or they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus replied, yes, have you never read? You have uh, prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babes. Mm. Uh, mm. Also, additionally, Mark 9, 36-37, um, a couple things I want to say on this. Uh, first of all, before I read the passage of Scripture, for, children and women were seen as secondary citizens in the popular yeah. culture. Uh, so for children, they were viewed as being seen, not heard. Uh, they were even viewed by some in the Greco-Roman society as being subhuman. But it's intriguing. In Mark 9, 36, uh, 35 through 37, sitting down, and this is the position of a teacher, he sits down. Uh, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Then, verse 36, he takes a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. So, a couple things. Jesus elevates, and he and he loves even the outcasts of the world, uh, because children were kind of the outcasts in the ancient culture. And so I think we can find that there. But going back to the, the phrase, out of the mouth of babes, I think this refers to a truth so obviously known that even the youngest of children can recognize its authenticity. And so uh, I think the fact that we see that Jesus is the Son of God, that was, that's a relevant truth. Even from the mouth of babes, they shall proclaim this. Uh, the victory that God will have in the end of time, I believe, out of the mouth of babes, uh, they'll, they'll proclaim that it would be such a surefire victory that God has in the end. Mm. It's, that's, and, you know, when, when, I, when, I heard, when I put this list together, number this one just kept coming up. Um, it, it just kind of kept finding its way further and further down the list because of that implication of of Jesus saying, "If if you don't welcome one of these, then then you won't welcome me." Right. It, it's you know, and I think what's what is crazy is I hear it um, in conversations um, when. People are when when kids say something silly or funny or say something like you have to say what it, you know and you and but you hear them and you say you know you'll hear somebody say well only out of the mouth of babes <laughs> and and you know yeah it's it is um, to a degree misapplied in some ways but in reality um, when when children speak. Um, if we just listen to them and let and let them talk, they'll talk about the silliest things, and it just makes you giggle. And I think, really, what that does is it lets down our guard enough that we can actually see the joy that God has in us as parents or adults seeing little children. If you use that same aspect, yeah, and I even think yeah. from the from the perspective of being a bus driver uh, for for several years, I had a I had a young child who was a preschooler uh, who came up to me and, and he always called me Mister Bus Driver. Most of the kids did anyhow. And I said, Mister Bus Driver, he said, uh, "Did you know that God died?" And I was taken back. I thought, "Well, what do you mean by that?" You know, being a good 
follower of Greg Kokel. What do you mean by that? And so <laughs> you're applying you're applying <laughs> tactics on a kid. I'm applying <laughs> tactics on everyone, even preschoolers. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Hilarious. But he said, uh, he said, well, he said they uh, they hung him on a cross, and and uh, so God died, but he got back up again, and so you know, so good. He had a he had a better theology than even some adults do. I mean, because awesome. he recognized that Jesus was God come in flesh. That that in essence, when when Jesus was crucified, uh, mm. the the Son of God had died, and then he did get back up again, as he eloquently put it. So uh, you know. Now, Curtis, I think I think your wife Chris mentioned the other day, Mayor was sitting down playing or oh my goodness, like that, yeah. Yeah, uh, ultimately the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, uh, I, f- I forget how how it all went, but yeah, she was she was sitting down and she just matter of factly looked at looked at Chris and she just says, "Mom, did you know that Jesus died on a cross?" <laughs> and, and said, and it was just matter of fact. And then she just went back to doing what she was doing, you know. And it was just it's powerful when you got a three year old that's grasping that. Yeah, powerful stuff. <laughs> and that shows so, that they're listening. It really does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't put it past them. They're hearing it. You're hearing what's going on. <laughs> so, well, this is the last one, Eric, and, and and you got number one. This is the top. This this kept kept coming down as the top uh, of our list here. So, why don't you go ahead and say it? The writing on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, the writing on the wall, and same when I asked everyone, everyone had heard this one. This is, I, I got to share this first before I um, talk about what the scripture says. But in my interviews, I got two very interesting act answers. One was um, a 12 year old kid who told me he thought it meant he was talking about graffiti. <laughs> uh, so he said, Isn't it when someone draws on a wall? <laughs> um, but then, then there was a 24-year-old girl, and I was kind of trying to measure that age graph, and she, she really actually, I was almost offended, and she said, I never use it. I don't even like to say that. He felt, she felt like it was a rude statement. Really? Accusing, yeah, accusing someone of denying the obvious or being stupid. Like, you can't see the writing on the wall. Um, so, she actually, so she actually um, felt like it was a, you know, and, and I think just culturally her generation where she's at, it was something that was, it was offensive. You know, and oh, so we're so worried really? about being offended sometimes. That's but odd. the actual, yeah, the phrase comes out of Daniel chapter five, um, where Belshazzar and Daniel is um, is serving him, and he's the king, and he's just having a, a big party, um, and went to the <laughs> point where he went and got the he went and got the his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken the um, gold goblets and some items from the temple for, uh, the temple of the Lord. And he went and asked them to grab those goblets and so that they could drink wine and party with the Lord's, um, you know, the, the vessels um, for the Lord's temple. And while they were having this party, all of a sudden this disembodied, this dismembered hand appeared and wrote this phrase on the wall. It says, many, many teko of Harrison um, on the wall. And he couldn't understand what it said. So ultimately he... He called um, for Daniel because he knew Daniel was a man with the spirit of the Lord and had wisdom and understanding. Um, and the phrase that was written on the wall just um, it said in essential it said um, to number, to weigh, and to divide. And they were actually all accounting terms, actually speaking about um, 
coins in the in that time of history. Um, so he didn't get it. And Daniel came in and um, and explained to him what the writing on the wall said. Um, and it gets just since we're on it, it says that God has numbered your kingdom and it's finished. Is you've been weighed in the balance, has it been found wanting, and that your kingdom is divided and going to be given to the Medes and the Persians. Um, so after that, I mean, the writing on the wall has always been reference either an impending doom or calamity or something that's coming, or being able to read the handwriting on the wall is a metaphor that means being able to see what's coming, especially when those around you are made in the dark. Mm. Yeah, and I hear it. I hear it applied or misapplied so much um, when it's when you talk about like uh, you're talking about football. You hear it all the time about um, you know the the announcers are always saying, "Oh, I saw that playing. It was or that play. It was kind of like the writing on the wall." You know, um, right? Seen like it it's something forecast. obvious. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, some sort of a forecast or some sort of a ability to see forward of that and it's interesting how um how how that gal you interviewed at 24 the difference between those age groups that's only 12 years right and 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 to hear (laughs) i I understand his simplicity of of, with the the graffiti graffiti. Yeah, yeah 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 but but her was almost like wow that's i never even I guess I never even grabbed a hold of that um, side of it or that thought of it, that, that it would be um, your judging somebody or your um, offense offending somebody. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And, and, and again, this, this, is, this is something that uh, I think we could really take from this podcast to see that even the expressions we're using uh, are being altered because of the, the changing dynamics, the lack of biblical literacy again. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not only yeah. impacting the church, but it's also impacting even even some of the expressions we're using. I, I, I'm surprised. I'm really so shocked by that that uh, that that phrase would be considered offensive by someone. But there again, yeah. you know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the, the generational gaps we're finding that may be giving credence to such understandings. Well, you know, and I think also it just speaks towards the, you know, we talk about the polarization in our nation, but I think everyone is on edge and and feels like any strong opinion or saying, you know, that it's, it's, it's divisive and people are looking for opportunities to, um, you know, point out those judgment or criticisms. And I, I think, I guess, summarizing that thought it just speaks to me about the, this generation that doesn't want to have um sharp dialogue and and um discourse mm. um and she has, again just speaks a lot to the need that you said for biblical literacy but for us to have um conversations and use language that may be offensive sometime and just make sure that we are um speaking the truth in love mm. right right and and having that I think I think it's important having that ha, ha, being engaged with the word continually allows us to be able to see those points of when we can be a little bit more forceful or when we have to kind of maybe back out a little bit and actually um, engage a little softer. Yeah, it's been my experience, and, and this is kind of the the, the philosophy I have. That let's let's let the gospel be offensive, but let's not be offensive. 
Um, yeah, that's good. Because, like, you know, coming down to First Corinthians, I, I'm sorry, Corinthians. I've been reading Corinthians a lot today. <laughs> Going back to First uh, Peter chapter three and uh, in verse fifteen, you know, it talks about the great apologetic verse in the scripture about allowing. Uh, being able to defend the hope within us, but then he goes in verse 16 to talk about do so with winsomeness. And, and so, um, unfortunately, I think that we we have a lot of offensiveness going on, unneeded offensiveness in our day. Um, the gospel is going to be offensive enough. We don't have to be. So I think there's, there's a fine yeah. line we need to draw there. Uh, we need to... Most adamantly now, more than ever, but show our love to people, uh, but yeah. stand stand firm in the truth of the gospel. And I think that statement what you said there is, just really speaks to as as the church why it's so important that we um, hold confidently that the Bible is the word of God. And like you Amen. said, let it speak for itself, and let people struggle with the Bible. Um, but as, as a church, we have to hold it up as absolute truth and inspired, infallible Word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, let me let me close with this because I'm afraid we're 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 running out of time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but Daniel Aiken, he's the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He said at a conference, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, that looking back at the history. Uh, of uh, and and this is talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, a pretty conservative you know denomination. He said formerly in times past, uh, the the battle for biblical inerrancy happened about every eighty years, and he said now it's coming down to twenty to forty. Uh, every twenty yeah. to forty years, we're having to have this discussion again, and it may be well, in future generations that it comes down to smaller segments than that. So you're right. We we need to stand for the the inerrancy of Scripture, or you know, you know, and let the Bible speak for itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a fun podcast, guys. This is exactly what I was hoping for with this, and allow us to have a a foothold to be able to have a foothold in conversation. So. I just pray that everybody that's listening will take this in and uh, be able to run with the uh, run with maybe some of these phrases. So, hey, Eric, let me, here. let me just say right quick before Curtis closes this off. It's been a joy and honor to have you with us, brother. And we hope to get you back yeah. real soon. It was really enjoyable. Thanks for letting me hang out and visit with you guys. Uh, anytime, yeah. brother. Yeah. That's awesome. Good times. But we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christian Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, hold your on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. 
We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristi.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question.